0: Welcome to Studies in the Scriptures with Pastor Mark Fontecchio, a broadcast ministry of Return to the Word, and made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. Welcome to Studies in the Scriptures, where we walk through the Bible and we walk through the doctrines taught in the Word of God. Now, if you're looking for our sermons or for our other podcasts, I want to encourage you to head over to return to the word.com and look for the podcast tab. Now today we are in the book of Ruth and I am excited to begin studying the word of God with you. Let's think about what we know of Ruth herself. Ruth was not born a Jew, she was from Moab. Other than this book, the Old Testament doesn't really make any reference to her and she's mentioned only one time in in the New Testament. She's mentioned in Matthew chapter 1, verse five, in the genealogy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, which is actually really significant because here we have a Gentile woman in the lineage of the Hebrew Messiah. Jewish tradition teaches that Samuel is the man that God used to record the events of this book. Now, it's not something that we can prove, but it would fit within the historical timeline involved. Now, speaking of the timeline, Ruth, she lived during the period of the judges, so sometime during that period is when these events took place. Some of the events in Ruth give us the indication that this book might have taken place around 1100 BC, but that's just our best guess when we try to narrow it down. Verse one is gonna tell us in a minute that this took place during a time of the judges and that is part of the beauty of this book. Think of Judges chapter 21, verse 25, which says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. What a desperate time. Living in a time when so many Jews went their own way, Ruth stood out as a bright spot, as an example of a woman that demonstrated both love and commitment. Now, it doesn't take us very long in our study of this book to learn that Ruth was from Moab. Keep tucked into the back of your mind the back and forth relationship that Israel had with Moab. Because in Genesis 19, Lot had committed incest with his daughters, and the oldest daughter gave birth to Moab, which is where this Group of people came from. Centuries later, the Jews continued to have problems, and they had problems with Balak, the king of Moab, recorded for us in the book of Numbers. Then later on in Judges chapter 3, for a period of 18 years, the Jews were forced to serve another king, Moab. And then even later on, 1 Samuel records that Saul defeated the Moabites, and David seemed to be at peace with them this back and forth, back and forth relationship with the people of Moab. It continued in First and Second Kings until finally the Lord pronounced his judgment upon the people of Moab for their idol worship and opposition to Israel. And you can read about that in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and in the book of Ezekiel. But even with all of this back and forth that went on for years, we see that God used Ruth from Moab. God used This Gentile woman to demonstrate his sovereignty because not only did Ruth end up becoming the wife of Boaz, but she ends up becoming the great grandmother of King David and therefore a part of the lineage of our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Now, this takes us to the great themes of the book of Ruth. First, I would say that Ruth reveals God's providence in providing a ruler for his people. God knew that the people would want a king. God had promised in Genesis 17 that the kings would come from Abraham. And as we just said, Ruth would become the grandmother of King David and part of that precious lineage of Jesus the Christ, the King of kings, who will rule the people in the second coming of Christ. Second, it's not just about a coming future kingdom. It's about God's grace in providing a redeemer for his people. And this we see illustrated so beautifully in the lives of Ruth and Boaz, which points us forward to the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. So watch for this as we make our way through the book. And keep in mind as we go through this, that this short little book of Ruth, it covers a period of roughly 11 or 12 years. So let's get into the book of Ruth. Let's dig into our text. Ruth chapter one, and we start with verse one. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Milan and Kilian. Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. And now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Milan and Chilion also died. So the women survived her two sons and and her husband. Then both Milan and Killian also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. And as we mentioned, this took place in the days of the judges. The famine in the land, the text hints to this, that this was because of God's judgment on his people. Deuteronomy 28 and the Mosaic covenant taught that blessings would come if the people obeyed God. Bad things would happen if they didn't. And the author is very specific that this happened in the time of the judges. And we know that during this time, the people continue to disobey the Lord. Part of that judgment promised in Deuteronomy 28 would be the Lord would let the enemies of Israel destroy their crops and occupy the land, which is exactly what we see in the book of Judges. Listen to just two verses from Deuteronomy 28. This is, verses 23 and 24 of chapter 28, where it says, And your heavens, which are over your head, shall be bronze, and the earth which is under you shall be iron. The Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust. From the heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. Now here comes the irony And I love the irony in the word of God, but here comes the irony in the book of Ruth. Bethlehem, you may know, literally means house or granary of bread. But it was from this city that they fled because there was a famine. And the reason that Judah is listed is because in that time, there was actually two different towns by the name of Bethlehem. By referring to Judah, the author is telling us he is referring to the town that was five miles south of Jerusalem. And the end of verse one teaches us this entire family went off to Moab, which was not all that far to the east. With verse two, we learn the names of this family, Elimelech, Naomi, and the sons' names were Milan and Kilion. Notice that we learn they were Ephrathites of Bethlehem. Now let's stop for a second and just think about what this meant. It's here for a reason. Genesis 41 teaches us that Ephraim was the second son of Joseph. So naturally, you might assume that this is a reference to the land of the tribe of Ephraim. But the problem is, if you study the book of Joshua, their land allotted to them, it didn't come down that far south as far as Bethlehem. Many times in the Old Testament, when we see a reference to Ephraim, it is a reference to the tribe of Ephraim. But this time the wording is slightly different and it's not a reference to the tribe of Ephraim. In this case, Ephrathah actually refers to the land that surrounded Bethlehem. That's what's being referred to. Skip ahead to chapter four in Ruth and take a look at verse 11. It says, in all the people who were at the gate and the elder said, we are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. Pay close attention to this next part. And may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. See, this verse is teaching us that Ephrathah is another name for Bethlehem. Head back to chapter one and notice some of the wording used in the first two verses, because it gives us the indication that this decision to move to Moab was clearly the decision of Elimelech. Verse one says in the middle of the verse, and a certain man. And verse two reads, the name of the man was Elimelech. Now, ladies, you've been there many times when your husband gets one of those ideas. My wife, she deals with this often. This seems to have been all on Elimelech. Now the question that I kind of wonder about was it the right move? The fact that they went not all that far to the east of the Dead Sea it gives us the idea that the famine was only a localized situation. This was a famine that only affected people in the land of Israel. But the text gives us no indication was moving his family there? an act of unbelief, or was it an act of faith? I tend to lean towards this idea that it was an act of unbelief. Remember, if the famine was the result of sin by the people of Israel, Deuteronomy teaches that the proper response would be for the people to repent, to stay in the land that God had given them, but turn to the Lord and place their trust in him alone, It would seem, and again, this is just my thinking on this, but it seems to me that Elimelech took things into his own hands by coming up with his own solution to the problem. But either way, there is no doubt that God used this for his glory. Back up to verse one, just one more time. And notice that the new King James uses the word dwell, and the King James uses the word sojourn. The word gives us the idea that Elimelech went there with the intention of only staying until he received word that the famine was over. But I want you to think about this. With all of the history between these two nations, it could not have been an easy choice to make. As we move into verses three, four, and five, we have another bit of irony in the passage. Elimelech took his own family out of Israel to protect him, But the end result was that Naomi was the only one left. And the wording of verse 3, it hints at her grief by telling us that after Elimelech died, Naomi was left with her two sons. Because the verb that is used not only refers to someone that is grieving the loss of a loved one, but it was a word that was used to refer to someone who survived the wrath and judgment of God. Now, I want you to also think about the fact that we know from Amos chapter seven, verse 17, that for a Jew to die in a foreign land, or another way of saying it would be a Jew to die in a defiled land, that's how they would have viewed it, as a defiled land, that was considered to be the ultimate punishment. And with verse three, we see some of the wording switch to indicate that Naomi was now the head of the household. See, we see a reversal in some of the wording used. She is no longer the wife of Elimelech as she was in verse 2, but he is now her husband and the sons are now referred to as hers. Back in verse 2, they were mentioned as his children. This is a clear shift that is taking place in the text. Elimelech is now out of the picture, and from this point forward, she is... Now the center of attention. Keep in mind how important it was to the Jews to pass on the family name, to pass on that family line. Elimelech is gone, but by the point of verse three, there was still hope because Naomi still had two sons. We don't learn in verse four, which son married Ruth. But over in chapter four, verse 10, we do learn that Ruth was married to Milan. Now, let's pay close attention to the first few words of verse 4, that they took wives of the women of Moab. The wording used is a very unusual expression. It's wording that becomes used to describe illegitimate marriages, especially a marriage with someone who was not a Jew. And you may ask, well, why was this so important? Well, because the Jews were warned about this. They were warned about the danger of marrying someone from a Gentile land, because they would be tied to those people who worshipped other gods. Listen to Deuteronomy 7, verses 3 and 4. Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son, for they will... Turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. Now, Moab is not actually listed in Deuteronomy 7 as one of the nations the people should not marry into, but it is listed as forbidden in Deuteronomy 23. The people of Moab had some sick stuff going on. They worshipped the false god, Chemosh, which was the savage war god. Second, Kings 3 teaches us just how sick it was that in part of their worship of Chemosh, they offered human sacrifices. So again, we see that the sons should not have married these women from Moab. But in his sovereignty, God did use their disobedience for his plan. And here is where I think it gets interesting. Deuteronomy 28 teaches us that part of the judgment of God for their disobedience was that their sons and daughters would marry the Gentiles that worshiped other gods while in the foreign lands. For 10 years, they lived there with neither daughter-in-law giving birth to any children. And again, let me just point out that in Deuteronomy 28, it teaches us that the judgment of God upon them would cause them to remain barren. And the Bible actually makes this point. Notice verse 13 in chapter four. It says, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. And the understanding is that it was an act of the Lord which caused Ruth who had been barren in Moab to bear a son for Boaz. Back in chapter one, the final blow came in verse five. Notice the wording given then both Milan and Kilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. This is the only place in the Old Testament that we see this word for sons used to refer to married men. And the meaning given is that the writer was telling us that Naomi, she lost her boys. She lost her boys. And the idea here is that the tragedies were just continuing to pile up. How much of it was because of their own sin is for God to know, but Naomi was heartbroken. Then let's pick up our text with verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore, she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law were with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, surely we will return with you to your people. As the text shifts now, we see at this point a future without hope. And finally, after 10 years of living in Moab, we learn in verse 6 that Naomi intended to return to Bethlehem. And the reason given is in the second part of verse 6. She had heard that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. The people of Israel had food again because the Lord himself had intervened. The Lord had showed his people that he had not forgotten them. And if you were reading this in the Hebrew, you would notice the play on words with Bethlehem, meaning the house of bread. And the idea is that the house of bread was being restocked. Now, we don't know what caused God to act at this time. We read of no repentance by Naomi. We read of no repentance by the people of Israel, leaving us to wonder, was this sovereign act of God of restoring the food in Israel for the express purpose of bringing Ruth and Naomi back to the established line that David would come through. Now, once the news had reached Naomi, her actions were decisive. Verse 6 tells us she arose with her daughters in law that she might return. Verse 7 tells us she went out from the place where she was, all pointing to this idea that she had made some time. She moved fast, she was making tracks. And at the end of verse seven, it is telling us that the next conversation we are about to read is taking place on their way to the land of Judah. Having lived in a foreign land, Naomi knew firsthand the struggles that these two women would face if they went back with her to Bethlehem. So what we see in verse eight is a little bit of tough love, if you will, by Naomi, that these two women should return to their mother's house. The common expression in the Bible to describe a home or a family is the house of a father, not a mother. The expression house of a mother usually is involved in the context of love and marriage. And therefore, what I'm telling you is this, that by sending these two young ladies back to the home of their mother, she was actually releasing them to remarry, which is what we'll see in just a minute. Verse 9 bears witness to this, that Naomi was telling these two young ladies to remarry. But before we look at verse 9, notice what Naomi says in the second half of verse 8. With the prayer of blessing that she prays where she said, The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Think about this simple statement. She involved the name of Yahweh when addressing her daughter's in-law. Remember, they were from Moab and they worshiped another God, thereby assuming that the authority of the God of Israel extended beyond the borders of Israel into the land of a foreign God on this occasion, the territory of Chemosh. In other words, she understood that the God of Israel was not just a local God of the Jews. That's what I'm telling you. She understood that he is the one true God that is sovereign over all the nations. This wasn't always a common understanding back then, but Naomi, she got it. She understood this. And at first glance, this prayer seems to convey deep faith on her part, but we will see much later on in verse 15 that such faith is compromised as she gave recognition to the gods of Moab. Now the idea of asking God to deal kindly with them, literally the wording means with love, mercy, grace and faithfulness. We see the second blessing in verse 9 and we should not underestimate the importance what is spoken of in this verse. She prayed that the Lord would grant them rest each in the house of her husband. The idea of finding rest is that of finding security. She was expressing her concern that her daughters in law be spared of having a life of just wandering. She wanted them to have a home where they could find safety and security and have their basic needs of life met. Naomi understood that in the world in which they lived, security and well-being were directly dependent upon their relationship with a male, be it either their husband or their father. And when a husband died, that was usually the end of the money train. It left a widow with no way to support herself. Becoming a widow often meant becoming destitute. Naomi understood all this and was advising them to return to their homes, find new husbands. She kisses her daughters in law goodbye, and with great emotion in the text here, they wept, testifying of this love and bond that these women shared. And both, Women come to an amazing conclusion in verse 10 that they would go with her to the land of her people, teaching us that with everything these three women had been through, these two young women were more attached to Naomi than to their own people. And the irony of Ruth chapter one is that Elimelech, he took his family to escape death because of the famine in the land. But it was in Moab that three quarters of his family met the death of, They were trying to avoid. And the application is that the text reminds us that the choices we make, Christians, they have consequences. So be careful to not base your understanding of God on our circumstances before us. Learn the lesson here not to attempt to solve our problems in a way that violates the Word of God. And we must always, always remember that whether we can see it or not, our God is faithful. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, PO Box 879259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path.